0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Uh, Hydro One CEO says that political interference has hurt and will hurt the utility. Wow. Uh, this is fascinating considering uh, the other day uh, the board voted themselves a $25,000 raise and the chair a $70,000 raise. Now, this brings them up, I guess, to those that would be in the same sort of position that they are in. But the optics are here are just absolutely unbelievable. And I'm not sure if anybody had mentioned to Hydro One that there is an election campaign in progress right now. And uh, I'm not sure if they've just shot Kathleen Wynne in the foot or if they're getting ready to be shot in the foot by Doug Ford. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just a sort of bizarre turn of events and, and makes you uh, ask all kinds of questions, including how did these people get pay raises when we apparently have control? We have the majority of the shares, Ontario does. And then we find out that Ontario abstained from this vote, meaning go ahead, knock yourself out. How did that happen? And then the Premier surprised that it all went down. Do we have that clip? Oh no, sorry, Will. Uh, you know, there's. It's, it's just it's it's as if she didn't know. Nobody told. She didn't open up the envelope. When it came in the mail. Let's bring in Parker Gallant, Vice President, Wind Concerns Ontario, and with us now, Parker. Thanks for the time, much appreciated.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Got so,
0: I'll start with: uh, Is our politics uh, killing or hurting Hydro One?
1: I don't see how they are, but uh, you know, or or you know, is it the other way around? I mean, if Mayo Schmidt didn't know that politics were involved in the power system in Ontario, we should never have taken the job, right? I mean, politics have been involved in the electricity sector now since we first started getting electricity back in you know the eighteen hundreds.
0: Is so. do you think he's trying to push for more privatization?
1: Well, I mean, he obviously is because he's buying a Vista, which is the you know the uh, company that operates out a, a, uh, of Washington, uh, Washington, the state of Washington, and has activities in five different states and owns a coal uh, a, a coal plant as well. Um, I mean, you know, for him to say that you know politics are interfering is is uh, I think a rather shocking thing. He should know that he should know that that politics have played a huge role, particularly over the last fifteen years. We've had the Green Energy Act come in. We've had political interference on a constant basis. I mean, the Minister of Energy, Energy uh, over the past fifteen years have have probably issued about one hundred and twenty directives to you know Hydro One, uh, IESO, the Ontario Energy Board, and, and OPG. So it should not be a shock that. You know, this political interference.
0: Uh, <laughs> so what about the timing of uh, them uh, giving themselves raises? What uh, What about um, Ontario abstaining from the vote? How does this happen?
1: I, I'm shocked. I mean, uh, the quote in the paper, I believe it was in the Globe article, about uh, him uh, talking about the pol- political involvement. Uh, was a bit of a shocker because they said 92% of the people that voted gave them, you know, approved the pay raises. And, you know, that's 92% of the shareholders that actually managed to get in in there and vote, I guess. But, um, you know, that leaves out the 47% that the province still owns, which I think is shocking. I mean, you know, why didn't the province uh, anticipate that this was a you know an issue and they would have been notified in the general and in general, general meeting that they were going to vote on these things so why did they abstain uh, th-
0: that's the part that i can't understand uh, that i don't understand at all uh parker simply because w- the, you know the, the her immediate response almost seemed like one of shock she wasn't she didn't know uh why it had happened she was going to launch a review I- as if she didn't even know there was a vote going on
1: yes it was, that was a bit of a shocker that uh, she didn't know, or did our minister know? I'm sure that he must have known. So
0: well, that, you would think, don't they send out notices to the shareholders? How come some of the shareholders got the memo, but the government didn't?
1: I don't quite understand that either. Yes, it's a requirement. They have to issue the yeah. the notice to shareholders, I believe, it's at least 30 days before the annual general meeting. So uh, they could miss that. Was, is beyond me. I don't have a clue.
0: So that being said, why would Hy- – like, clearly there's no love loss between Hydro One and Kathleen Wynne, uh, knowing that with this announcement the other day, they've just driven another nail into her coffin.
1: Well, uh, she's the one, I guess, that made the decision to privatize it. Didn't tell us whenever uh, the last election came around, but surprised us afterwards. Um, but I mean it kind of is an indication that someone's not watching what's going on. That's the only thing I can surmise.
0: I keep hearing that over and over again, Parker like when i when I ask the question to experts how this could possibly happen, and again, short of asking the premier, uh which oddly enough, I had her on the the show the day before this happened, unfortunately, but um yeah yeah I I mean we Wynn told us that we were going to remain in control. This doesn't sound like we're in control.
1: No, not at all. I mean she could have, you know, shut shut down those increases. I mean, there's been no demonstration from my perspective. I was looking at the financials a couple of days ago when they were released, and I can't see, you know, how why they why he got the big uh, increase in his uh, salary and why they the board of directors thought that they deserve more money either, because the results are not that great. The and shares
0: are it, down, aren't they?
1: Yeah, the shares are down, so that tells me that the sentiment is not there, even though this article in The Globe today kind of, you know, interviewed a couple of analysts um, who blamed it on the politics, the reason the, the price is going down. Uh, I found that rather shocking as well. I mean, if they actually examine the financial information, they will see that uh, you know, the reason why the income was up, it appears to me, is because the charges for electricity were way down. They were down by $138 million, the cost mm-hmm. of power, and there's been no change in terms of the the delivery costs. I just had a look at my bill. I'm on Hydro One, and it represents about 40% of my bill, yeah. and it's always been the highest of any of the local distribution companies in the province, so nothing has changed. And all they've done is, you know, kick things down the road, and the government has, has stepped in and is supplementing their revenue base by saying we're going to pay for things that we weren't paying for before. You know, like they, they uh, the province themselves provide a lot of money uh, for Hydro One to take care of uh, people that were living in energy poverty, you know, through the Ontario uh, electricity support program and, and uh, other programs.
0: Uh, is it because of the politics involved that the shares are down?
1: Well, my view is that, you know, this is a monopoly. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's a monopoly. <laughs> yeah. And they go off and they're going to buy up a Vista on, you know, the west coast of the United States. And I'm not sure of the reasoning that behind this purchase in the first place. They're paying way over buck value for the company, and you know they're going to create a lot of goodwill. That's not going to generate any revenue at all for Hydro One, and you know for them to claim that they'll be able to get synergies out of you know purchases is is beyond me. I mean, they're going off promising uh, all the utilities that they own and uh, that Avista own uh, that they're not going to raise their rates for five years. They're going to actually, you know, reduce their rates. They're going to throw in, I think it's about 40 million bucks at uh, U.S. at those uh, rate payers in the various uh, states that they're operating in. Uh,
0: One listener has written, and we will clarify this. Can you be clear what you mean when you say majority of shares? I was under the understanding we have 48% of the shares. We have 48% of the shares, but we're the largest single shareholder, correct? The Other shareholders only have 10% each?
1: Um, I'm not sure what the other ownership is, but no, I think they... We yeah, have the largest the majority share. The is 47% yeah. from what yeah. I can read. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. The we own 47% shares.
0: and the outstanding shares, um, no one holds that that amount of shares.
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, no, they're all uh, so, smaller,
0: like 10% and such. But
1: I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if, if anybody's ever attended an annual general meeting of a of a you know company that's listed in the... Stock Exchange, but generally speaking, the people that vote, if you will, for the issues that are before the board um, that have been brought up uh, tend to be only the people that attend or, you know, some write-ins. Yeah. Some I mean, I yeah. when I was working for the TD Bank, I used to go to their annual general meeting, and the number of people actually voting w- was pretty uh, minuscule. It's not nearly...
0: I guess clearly the government took that idea, too. Yeah, but I mean... <laughs>
1: They should not have because they are dependent on Hydro One. And, you know, they claim that, you know, the dividends are helping uh, reduce debt and everything else. Well, if they're so interested in it and and are making those claims, they should have been present and exercising their their, uh,
0: shareholdings. This is uh, quite a mess. It's amazing that uh, what else I find amazing is they really haven't addressed this in any way. No, the liberals, they really haven't explained to us what happened.
1: No, they just sort of walked away from it and said, yeah. oh, we've sold it off, and we, you know, we got $9 dollars."
0: Well, instead, they keep, you know, what they keep focusing on is, you know, adjusting the executive's pay isn't going to amount to a hill of beans on your rate, which is absolutely true. But is it that? Is it that that concerns people, or is it just a change in attitude? I mean, if you don't care and you don't show up to the vote, that's one attitude, as opposed to another leader who says we're going to fire them. Well, maybe yeah. you can't fire them, but certainly the change in attitude seems a bit more positive.
1: Well, I mean, firing them is not going to reduce. Rates very much. No. That's for sure. No, uh, because they'll have to be replaced, and then presumably have to be replaced with you know people that are, are competent, and and you know will get want to get paid reasonably as well. So I mean that's not going to help. But what happens, of course, is people say, oh, the you know the the fish stinks from the head down or something, uh, yeah. and so there may be more here below the surface that could be you know dealt with to reduce hydro rates than just the top, you know, echelon, if you will, of the company.
0: Why so, do you think Hydro One did this now? Why do you think they didn't wait till after an election campaign? I mean, jeez, it's, well, it's, it's a I month. It,
1: I mean, their, their earnings last year were actually down from the year before. So that's what shocks me, is that why would the board of directors suddenly decide to pay out a big bonus and get themselves a raise? Let's let's see how this year pans out before you start handing out, you know, more money.
0: Maybe they wanted to raise their salaries uh, so when Ford fires them, they'll get a higher severance. <laughs> <That> might,
1: <laughs> it might have something to do with that. And, of course, they did that, it looks like, with Mayor schmidt They, they you know, they put a a set amount on on his payout if he is fired, so.
0: Yeah, when you think about it, these guys get more when they're fired than they do when they're hired. Yeah, it's the it's the sure. it's the way out the door that where they make the money. It's not yeah. on the way in. That's for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm you know, I'm kind of disappointed in, in what this is, is doing instead of sort of focusing on things. I mean, the other so the what other is, issue is Hydro One's got a stack of uh, applications in before the Ontario Energy Board for rate increases. Yeah. And One of the rate increases that they got sort of. Approved on in respect to the transmission system was related to the tax benefits they got from going private, and they wanted all those tax benefits to apply for the shareholders, not for the ratepayers. But when the Ontario Energy Board gave their ruling, they said, "No, no, you can't take all of that and just give it to the shareholders. We're keeping. We're not allowing you to do the rate increases and hit the hit the ratepayers for everything." So they kind of split it up, right? And now, uh, what happens is the, the uh, Hydro One has appealed. They're actually going to go to the Superior Court if they don't get the approval. So they're 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 saying we want that money for the shareholders. And there's a note on their on their quarterly statement saying, if they don't get this and another rate application that relates to the tax benefits on the transmission side, it will hit them for 885 million dollars which is more than they make in a year. So, I mean, this is all hanging over their heads. And as a board of directors, you would say, don't you think we should wait until we see the outcome of the appeal uh, before we hand out, you know, big bucks? But they haven't.
0: Uh, is uh, We've only got a few seconds left. So is this a good time for Andrew Horvath to buy it all back?
1: Oh, uh, well, the shirt price is down, so you can pick it up for for last money, that's for sure.
0: Parker uh, Galland has been with us, Vice President of Wind Concerns Ontario. Parker, thanks for the time and insight. Much well, appreciated. For me, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's talk about North and South Korea, and of course, Donald Trump. Uh, We all know how far this has come from fire and fury and the size of buttons to uh, now uh, people meeting uh, in the demilitarized zone. And, of course, uh, the organization, the meetings in around a summit between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump from one extreme to the other, it seems. And uh, talk of even a Nobel Peace Prize for Donald Trump. Uh, anyway, so uh, many were skeptical about this, and I guess we're starting to see reasons why uh, it, it seems now that Kim Jong-un upset that the United States and South Korea have been conducting military exercises despite all of this forward movement. Uh, Kim Jong-un, not happy with that, pulled out of a preliminary meeting the other day uh, saying that uh, questioning what's going on, you know obviously they've given up three hostages, they've start, they've stopped lobbing missiles, testing missiles. Uh, into the skies uh, in the area, so why is this military maneuver still going on? Let's bring in Donald Baker, Department of Asian Studies, UBC, University of British Columbia, and with us now. Donald, thanks for taking the time, we appreciate this. Good to talk with you, Scott. So, uh, North Korea obviously hands over some hostages, they stop testing. Do they have a valid point here to question why this military exercise is still going on between South Korea and the United States?
2: Yeah, they do, although the United States did cut back on the scape of the exercises. They're not using (laughs) B-52s like they would normally, and they're not using some of the more advanced fighter jets that could be used in offensive operations. But as usual, the North Koreans didn't spell out exactly what they were willing to accept because they had allowed earlier military exercises to go on while they were talking with um, the South Korean president. Uh, and so I guess the North Koreans kind of expected that the Americans and South Koreans will say, oh, you don't like this, we'll stop it. And the Americans didn't hear that directly from the North Koreans. And the Americans haven't heard that the North Koreans are going to do what the Americans want them to do, which is give up all their nukes immediately. (laughs) Therefore, the Americans felt it was necessary to continue with these military exercises. I don't agree with the American position on that, but that's the American point of view.
0: Uh, I can certainly understand how both parties might have a different view of of a definition of denuclearization, but how could this not have come up prior to all the pomp and circumstance and the shaking of hands and the warm hugs and the talk of a Nobel Peace Prize? Wouldn't this be one of the conditions that they would say you know by the way let's lighten up with the testing i mean why wouldn't that be why wouldn't that be pointed out ahead of time
2: well the americans especially donald trump and pompeo have been saying all along that they're going to keep up maximum pressure until north korea totally denuclearizes and i've been saying all along that's unreasonable (laughs) but that's what they've been saying so the north koreans should have paid attention to that but again this this is what goes on i mean um North Korea knows that those exercises are not aimed at attack on North Korea, but at the same time, they want South Korea to show goodwill by showing that it's recognized that North Korea now is willing to stand down with its threats. And they they wanted South Korea to kind of voluntarily on their own ask the Americans to cancel these exercises. Often in dealing with North Koreans, a lot goes unsaid. They expect you to read what they really want without them telling you explicitly. Hmm. That's how they find out if you have the kind of intentions that they really want you to have. (laughs) Hmm. And obviously in this case, even if the South Koreans understood what the North Koreans wanted, the Americans clearly didn't, or didn't care. And so they have gone ahead with these exercises.
0: Now, how has the U.S. and South Korea reacted to North Korea pulling out of these preliminary meetings because of the exercise?
2: Well, I'm sure South Korea is not surprised because, again, it's been off and on with North Korea for the last 40 years. They're probably doing their best to um, restore communication with North Korea to say, let's go ahead with the meeting because the meeting was about helping North Korea improve its infrastructure, helping improve their railroads, for example. So it would have been the North Korea's benefit. Uh, Now, again, the South Korean government is being very careful trying to. be an intermediary between the North Koreans and the Americans, okay? And so uh, I'm sure they're telling the, the North Koreans, you, you know, calm down, let's have this meeting, and we'll do our best to keep the Americans calm.
0: Hmm. Okay? So does this give North Korea the upper hand now, the fact that they've said, hey, wait a minute, slow down here?
2: Um, a little bit. So I don't think the United States is willing to give the North Koreans anything for the meeting in, in Singapore. Uh, and I hope North Koreans realize that. Uh, because the North Koreans always expect something. You don't don't do anything with the North Koreans without a monetary payment. <laughs> Even when we bring North Korean scholars to Canada, we have to pay them, not just their expenses. We got to give them a little spending money. We don't do that when we have an international conference and North Koreans are involved. They're the only ones who get spending money. Nobody else does. Hmm. Uh, and the Trump administration has been making very clear they're not going to pay the North Koreans anything for getting rid of their nukes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the North Koreans are saying, what's going on, or is the way we always operate? Um, and South Korea, I think, is trying to say, don't worry about the Americans. We will pour money into your infrastructure. Okay? So it's, it's, South Korea is doing this balancing act. They're trying to keep the North Koreans involved, and they're trying not to be so openly helping the North Koreans that the Americans get upset.
0: If there is – you, you talked about North Korea just not saying anything and just assuming or letting people show their actions rather than verbally – Uh, How can these talks possibly move forward without greater communication, without greater diplomacy?
2: Well, I think they're probably going to happen, but I don't think anything big is going to come out of it. I think North Koreans want to have that uh, meeting with Donald Trump, so it looks like Kim Jong-un has been accepted on the world stage as the leader of a respected country. I think Donald Trump wants the meeting because he loves press. (laughs) Okay. Mm. But I don't expect anything concrete to come out because when I first saw um, John Bolton on the American talk show saying that America was going to impose the Libyan model on North Korea, yeah. I knew immediately that the North Koreans were going to be very upset about that because they know they always bring up Libya. You know, Qaddafi gave up his nukes and a few years
0: later he was dead. Expand on that. And, and why, would, why would the U.S. be so careless with that? Why would the U.S. be so careless in that regard?
2: I don't know if John Bolton was totally ignorant of what that means to the North Koreans, uh, or if he was deliberately trying to sabotage the talks. So the North Koreans have been saying for a couple of years that they have to keep their nukes so they don't end up like Gaddafi. They say that all the time. Mm -hmm. Anybody who follows North Korea knows they say that. Um, It's possible John Bolton wasn't paying any attention, (laughs) but it's also possible he was deliberately trying to sabotage the talks. We know before he became National Security Advisor, he was advocating overthrowing the North Korean government. So it's very possible this is a deliberate provocation on the part of John Bolton.
0: Does any of this threaten the meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un?
2: It could, if they keep bringing up Libya. <laughs> and this other day, Pompeo said, don't expect any money from the American taxpayer. When you give up your nukes, then we will encourage American companies to invest in North Korea. And That's not what the North Koreans want to hear. They want government. They want money from the United States government. They but isn't it, isn't
0: investment the same thing?
2: No, first of all, it'll take. First of all, how many American companies are going to want to invest in North Korea right away?
0: Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, yeah. That being said, though, if America just writes North Korea a blank check, what is it going to be used for? Is is it helping the people, or is it moving forward towards sort of some sort of economic stability?
2: Well, obviously, strings have to be attached. We could work with the South Koreans, the American government, can work with the South Koreans to again improve the infrastructure to help them build electric power plants that can't be used to produce uh, material for nuclear bombs. They have a real shortage of electricity in, in North Korea. There's a number of targeted areas where American government could invest with the South Koreans, maybe with the Chinese as well, that would really benefit the North Korean people and, of course, also benefit the North Korean government. But Pompeo is saying, we're not going to do that <laughs> at all. And I, 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 the, the Americans are acting as though the North Koreans are surrendering. Pompeo actually said the North Koreans should give their nuclear bombs that they have now to the United States to be dismantled in the U.S. North Korea is not going to do that. That's a surrender. (laughs) They have to recognize this is not a surrender, this is a negotiation. North Korea is asking to be accepted as a nuclear power, just like Pakistan is. They're asking that their leader be treated as a respectable leader of a respected nation. And America is acting like North Korea is coming begging to them because they're hurting so bad from the sanctions, they're ready to surrender. And they can still go ahead and have a talk, but I don't see how they can possibly succeed with both sides having totally different views of what they want to get out of these talks.
0: Does Donald Trump aware how sensitive he has to be in regard uh, to his language in these meetings uh, with North Korea?
2: I doubt he isn't. Although yesterday he was quiet, which which was good. That's unusual. I don't think he understands the impact of what he says around the world. I mean, he just opens his mouth and says what he feels like saying.
0: Uh, I mean, we've, right? certainly seen, uh, we've certainly seen how he reacts on social media and, and, and how uh, we in North America take it. But this is a completely different culture. Do they understand where he's coming from? And vice versa, I guess.
2: Well, the American, most of the Americans who understand Korea are no longer working for the government. <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah. The leading negotiator, Joseph Yun, who's a Korean-American who worked with North Koreans for several years, he's, he resigned. Um, the the new ambassador who will be going to Seoul um, to represent the United States on the Korean Peninsula uh, is a military man, not a diplomat, and he hasn't really worked with Koreans that much. Uh, so basically Donald Trump doesn't know much about Korea and doesn't have people around him who understand Korea. I think the North Koreans understand America, including Donald Trump, much better than the Americans understand Kim Jong-un in North Korea.
0: Uh, where are these military exercises now? Have things simmered down? You said they weren't, you know, they weren't using the B-52s or anything anymore. They've lightened it up a bit. Uh, how is North Korea responding to that?
2: Well, the only response has been to cancel the meetings. Cause those, these exercises are, are in the air. They're not on the border. They're not American planes flying towards North Korean territory and then pulling back at the last minute. They're simply South Korean and American jets maneuvering in the skies above South Korea. So
0: they're certainly not – it's not like they're buzzing them or anything like that. Not this time, no. It doesn't before, <laughs> but not this time. So um, – If this meeting goes ahead, what do you think, and you you touched on this before, you didn't say much would be accomplished, what will be accomplished? What will this set up the next round for? Uh, What will these two talk about when they meet? Will there be talk of uh, finally ending the Korean War and and moving beyond that? How deep do these talks go?
2: I think there will be talk about uh, ending the Korean War. North Korea would like to see that, see a treaty that ends the Korean War. Because once that happens, then they can say, well, there's no more need for American troops in South Korea.
1: <laughs> right. Which,
2: uh, Donald Trump uh, has said sometimes he wants to pull the troops out to save money, but other times he says he wants to keep them there. Uh, what I see Kim Jong-un getting out of this, and I, first of all, I don't expect him to give up his nukes right away. I expect him to offer a, a long-term plan for denuclearizing Northeast Asia and Trump to reject that. Um, I suspect Kim Jong-un to accept a proposal to negotiate a treaty ending the Korean War. But then what will happen, he'll go back and talk to China and talk to South Korea and say, look, I did my best. I worked. With, I tried to work with Donald Trump. I've stopped testing missiles. I've stopped testing bombs. You don't need those sanctions anymore. I'm the one who's trying to get peace. It's Donald Trump is causing trouble, so remove the sanctions. And I think that China and South Korea may go along with that. The United States may end up being with its relationship with North Korea, like it has with Iran, the only country that wants to maintain sanctions.
0: <laughs> Donald Trump loves to have signing ceremonies. You know, the big book opens it mm. up, right? You know, does his John Henry on it, then turns it around and shows it to the cameras. What will they sign here?
2: I actually be surprised if they sign anything. I really will. I mean, uh, Kim. Jong-un will they sign
0: and... an agreement to talk again?
2: Oh, uh, I might mean, do
0: that. he's got to do something, doesn't he? You
2: yeah, would think so. Uh, well. well Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un signed an agreement that was pretty vacuous. The only concrete thing in there was to set up a liaison office. So maybe maybe North Korea and Donald Trump can sign an agreement to maybe set up um, not, not, not embassies in each other's capitals, but maybe liaison offices in each other's capitals, something like that. I can see them doing that, uh, but I can't see any concrete agreement. North Korea is not going to say, here, take our nuclear weapons. We don't want them anymore. They're not going to do that. That's what Donald Trump wants. And they can't... In, Singapore agree on a peace treaty in the Korean War because China's got to be a signatory of a peace treaty in the Korean War. Uh, So they can't do that either. So maybe an agreement to talk more and have these designated liaison offices in the two capitals that might work.
0: What will this mean to the people of both North Korea and South Korea? And by that, I mean, you know, obviously uh, life in South Korea is a lot more advanced than it is in North Korea. Uh, the more North Koreans learn about what's in the South, I'm sure the more they want to go there. What's the, single most, what's the single most thing, I guess, that would make an impact that South Korea can do or give to North Korea that can greatly change the way they live?
2: Well, I would say if the sanctions are lifted, and South Korean capital can return to North Korea because they had an industrial, uh, industrial uh, park. It's north of the border in North in North Korea that was shut down because of the sanctions,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that not only gave North Koreans jobs, it also it gave them experience working with up-to-date technology. And if, if if South Korea and North Korea can go ahead with the South Korean plans to improve their infrastructure. I'm, I'm told the North Koreans that came to the Winter Olympics were amazed at how fast the South Korean railroads are. Yeah. <laughs> the trains are really fast. They're bullet trains.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, North Korean trains run a lot slower than our traffic at rush hour.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and nor would you probably want to go any faster in them. Um, right. uh, the impact on North Korea, I- if that sort of thing happens, will be massive, won't it? And it will, it will happen quickly, will it not?
2: We would hope so. I mean, North Korea... Has got a lot of natural resources they could use if they had, you know, capital. They like could start building the factories to use it. They have some of the world's, maybe the world's greatest collection of rare earths. Okay, and uh, so, and they have the capability to produce a lot of hydroelectric power because of their mountains and their rivers. Uh, so, if foreign capital can come in, Chinese, South Korean, even American, and help them tap into the natural resources and the labor power, their economy could start growing really quickly. But it's got, you know, the government has, the government of North Korea has to allow that to happen. And I like think the government is afraid that if the economy grows too quickly, then power follows money. Right? And power may fall into the hands of people who are not government officials.
0: <laughs> Could this be the next emerging market?
2: It'll be a while, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be a while.
0: Uh, where is this story in regard to them pulling out of the meeting and upset with the military exercise? Where is this story now?
2: I, I think you're going to still see the meeting in Singapore. I, I think also there will be a meeting between uh, North and South Korean officials sometime in the next week or two. I think once these exercises are over, which will be soon, uh, then the North Koreans will come back and say, let's meet. They just didn't want to be meeting while these military exercises are going on.
0: When so these, would, there
2: will be a meeting probably next week.
0: When these two, meaning Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, finally do meet, what will be the biggest challenge for them in understanding each other, and understanding each other's culture? What will this meeting be like considering the two personalities?
2: It's going to be difficult because they're both you know, used to be able to dictate, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Donald Trump really does seem to think that North Korea is ready to surrender. And if he walks in, and even if his body language, but such as his language, verbal language, shows that, the North Koreans are going to really be angry and respond accordingly. And maybe, maybe, I don't think the North Koreans will walk out, but the North Koreans are very good at yelling at conferences, and <laughs> hmm. <laughs> meetings. They could stand up and start yelling at Donald Trump, saying, you have no right to, pre- to treat our respected republic this way, and our supreme dignity, which means their leader this way, and so on. It could turn into a yelling match, which would be incredible to leaders of two respective countries yelling at each other, but I can imagine that happening, given the personalities of the two men.
0: Is this the biggest challenge for Donald Trump so far, do you think?
2: I think so. I think he has no idea what he's getting into. And I think that uh, he, he, again, he, he doesn't know how to deal with the North Koreans. He doesn't have people around him and tell him how to do it. And they, Kim Jong-un is wily. He, he will have a better clue of how to deal with Donald Trump than Donald Trump will know how to deal with him.
0: What do you think Kim Jong-un knows about Trump?
2: Well, I mean, he's got his diplomats at in, 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 in the U.N. who watch Donald Trump carefully on TV. Uh, they probably watch Fox TV. Uh, and I think they, they know that he's an egomaniac, that if they play up to his ego, they may be able to get something that he otherwise wouldn't give them. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they could go so far as to offer him a chance to invest a lot of the Trump organization capital in Pyongyang.
0: Uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, that yeah. would make for another investigation. <laughs> That's
2: right. <laughs> A couple hotel in Shanghai would be interesting.
0: Oh, yeah, really. Uh, Donald Baker has been with us, Department of Asian Studies, University of British Columbia. Donald, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good talking with you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, we've talked uh, many times about the Falcons that are perched at the Sheridan. Uh, It turns out, man, this has gone back to 1994. uh, And usually every year we do some sort of story on where they are or where they're at or how many there are, this sort of thing. and, And the pictures are getting even better. And then to sideswipe to another story, uh, all of a sudden the other day we're in Hamilton uh, downtown and there's helicopters flying all over the place. People are calling the radio station wondering what's going on. Of course, we try to tell you as often as we can that it's a military uh, maneuver and so on and so forth. Uh, Some are complaining because they're on shift work and they're trying to sleep. Others are complaining that it's scaring the kids That doesn't bring the military exercise to a halt. But as soon as we find out that the Falcons perched above the Sheridan are getting a little cranky, that's it. Everybody back to base. Enough. Uh, And it's hilarious how this uh, sort of unfolded. Let's bring in Mike Street. He is a senior monitor, Hamilton Community Paragon Project, and is with us now. Mike, thanks for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Are you surprised how much publicity these Falcons get?
3: Surprised? Not really, but it's nice to see. Yeah, uh, We had no idea this was coming, so uh, I was out of of town yesterday and I got back in and the phones were ringing and the emails were flying and
0: uh, uh, it was fun. All right, so let's uh, before we get to the history of all this and, and and what's actually happening there, what happened yesterday, and how did it get to the how did it get from you know uh, a ledge uh, uh, at the Sheridan to to the military? Well, as because I, I understand you guys didn't have anything to do with it, really. No, and and we had no
3: idea it was happening. Yeah, um, I guess the Sher- the military arranged with the uh, Jackson Square right. management, Yale uh, right. properties. To do this, I guess they were trying uh, mm-hmm. uh, dropping people onto the roof of a building, yeah. and um, uh, that that was basically it. And they yeah. got, they got permission from the building, and sure. away the they went. Um, had they contacted us in advance, uh, we wouldn't have said no because the uh, uh, the Hamilton um, uh, oh there's, there's a group. Uh, big sisters, right? Uh, every year they run they run a thon down re- the far side yeah. Of, yeah. of the Stelco <laughs> yeah. building, yeah. and it's it's not a bother, you know. Yeah. Um, in this case, now it, mind you,
0: they're not they're a lot quieter than the helicopters. Oh, exactly, are. exactly.
3: Yeah. But had they asked us, I, I would have said, well, you know, try and keep the helicopter away from the Sheraton as yeah. much as you can, realizing that uh, a helicopter doing circles has got to be a, yeah. a big circle range. So uh, the the birds weren't bothered. The, um if if you look at the the pictures on our website. Especially around four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, you can see the the female looking up, and you know, give, you know obviously there's a helicopter yeah. up above,
0: and she's she's having a, a good look. See. Yeah. But otherwise, they were fine. So, um, uh, are the fellow are the so you can actually watch the video while those helicopters were flying around, and you couldn't see them react other than look up at the uh, at the helicopter.
3: There was, there was no reaction. Now, what uh, we we have two cameras. Um, uh, the main one, uh, what goes on the website, is actually a snapshot every 10 seconds. Right, yeah, But we also have streaming, and, and I didn't see the stream. And, of course, the stream is live, so yeah. after it's happened, you can't look back. Right. Um, but basically, the, the uh, uh, sequential shots, just all they did was look up, and that was it.
0: So how did word get to the military? Who discovered that this is buzzing the Falcons?
3: I've seen a couple of reports. Somebody, uh, one report said that somebody phoned City Hall, Another report said somebody emailed the city. I have no idea. It wasn't us.
0: So are you surprised by the military (laughs) reaction to this?
3: Actually, no. If you go back 15, 20 years, um, there was some uh, uh, concern over military planes up in Labrador flying low over uh, animal herds and so on. And and so the the military looked closely at it at that time, and I think that's when they adopted the policy. So it's it's nice to see that the policy is still in place, and they sure acted on it quickly.
0: So does this mean we may see another uh, maneuver like this? this or is that it for the maneuvers around hamilton you have to
3: ask the 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 military the, the peregrines uh the adult peregrines are here year-round right but the the chicks will fledge uh, all things being equal by the end of july certainly by the end of august into september they'll be gone right so you
0: know so and and you you would suggest if this was to come up again next year that this will not bother the birds at all
3: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, uh, say, you know, it, it's better uh, before there are chicks in the nest. Right. It's better after they fledge. But if this is the only time they can do it, I don't think it would be a problem.
0: All right. So give us some history here. This started back in 1994. How How did it all start? In, in
3: 1994, there was a gentleman named Len Dixon who was a, a supervisor with the Hamilton District School Board, which whose building was across the street from the Sheraton. Right. And Len was a bird watcher. And, and one day he noticed this strange bird flying around the Sheraton. Um, uh, got enough of a look at it to s- identify it as a peregrine, which is rare. And um, the next spring, uh, uh, the bird came back with a ma- with a partner. So Lynn got a hold of the Canadian Wildlife Service and the Ministry of Natural Resources. um and they started keeping an eye on it. the um, uh, one of the members of the Hamilton Naturalist Club, happened to work in the Stelco building, and his office faced the Sheraton. So we had a natural observer. Right. And once they saw a fluffy white thing running around the, the, the ledge, yeah. you know, they knew there was a, um, a live bird. So... Uh, at that point, they they called some of the groups in the Hamilton Naturalist Club, uh, the Niagara Peninsula Hawk Watch, which was uh, I was with both groups, um, and they they uh, asked to sort of keep an eye on the birds. Um, they brought in two chicks of the same age as the one in the nest from the breeding facility out in Alberta, plunked them down in the nest, and the parents took care of all three, and they fledged and away they went. Wow! Yeah,
0: these sorry go ahead yeah,
3: it, it goes back into this into the uh 60s 70s the uh after or during world war ii they developed the p- pesticide ddt right okay right. and uh, in 1964 rachel carson wrote her book silent spring and uh, pointed out that you know that something was happening and they finally figured out that the ddt was getting into the bottom of the food chain and working its way up peregrines uh, bald eagles and osprey particularly um, wound up eating food that the, the DDT uh, came up in and affected them. Yeah. And the, uh, what it was doing was it was thinning the eggshell. So when the, the female sort of uh, lay down on the egg to incubate it, to warm it, right. it crushed. Crushed, yeah. <clears throat>
0: So um, what happens and what do you do as an organization with these every year? Do you monitor them? What, what sort of information do you collect?
3: Yeah, exactly. My, my title is senior monitor. And the, the idea is that if a chick um, comes out of the nest either too early or accidentally and comes to ground and can't get up, either it, it just is afraid to fly, too young to fly or injured, then we rescue it. Um, take it for care if it needs it. If it doesn't, we put it back up on the roof, and it goes back to the nest, and we we start all over.
0: Uh, I'm fa- I'm looking at this while I'm talking to you. It's fascinating to see because all of a sudden the mother will turn and look right at the camera,
3: which is very we, we, cool. I, I swear she knows the thing is moving. Yeah, it, it's in it's in a um, uh, enclosed bulb or a bubble. Yeah, and I don't think she can see the movement, but maybe maybe she can see something.
0: That is something. Um, so how many this year? What is the difference from year to year? Uh,
3: in the first, oh 1997 through 2008, roughly we on, just about every year we had four, right? Uh, chicks. And then it tapered off a bit. we had three. And then we had a, a, a change of adults, the, the long-term adults, uh, Madamex and
0: Serge. I remember Madamax. Well, so they were the, so that was the same couple oh, coming yeah, back. Absolutely. Yeah, she right. was
3: there thirteen years, I believe. yeah. And uh, when we had this changeover, um, Serge was found injured on the ground down near HMCS Haida and taken into care. Um, and um, while he was in care, uh Madame X was on on the the ledge, and a, a male came in and she was sort of flirting with him for a while. And then Serge uh, died. Mm-hmm. period. He was, he was being treated and just uh, keeled over. About 10, do- ten days later um, Madame X have stopped flirting with this guy and let him onto the ledge um, so that it looked like they were gonna pair up and then all of a sudden she disappeared. Hmm. Um, about two weeks before that I'd had a, an email from a re- researcher at, at McMaster who said uh, this peregrine's perching on the corner of the building outside my window um, is that of interest and he sent a picture. And it was. It was clearly a female peregrine, and I could see that it had a green band right. on its leg. Uh, green means it was it was hatched and banded in the U.S. Black right. means Canada. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, um, we're, we're going along. Serge is now dead. Madame X has her, her boyfriend on the ledge, and then all of a sudden she disappears. Uh, one day she, she showed up with a little uh, some blood on her chest, and the next day she was gone and never came back. Ah. And but two days later, there's a female peregrine on the ledge obvious because of her size with a green band
0: wow <laughs> so how do you ban these things
3: um they have to be banded as chicks once once they're yeah. over about 28 days they're they're just yeah. too hard to yeah. to handle because they their claws are very strong and and uh they uh, they dig in uh basically they they uh they take the bird um, fingers under underneath the chest, yeah. hold the wings in. One person does that, and somebody else takes the the band, puts it around the leg, sizes it first to make sure it's the right size, and then clips it on. It's it's a, it's a, uh, are these, a rivet.
0: Are these banded? Do they? Can you get at these to band them? We or? will we'll
3: be banding them next week. And how do you do that? We a climber comes down off the roof, um, <laughs> to to the okay. to the ledge. And we have uh, we have a special basket with four compartments. That's we were yeah. used to four. So we have yeah. this special basket, and the climber just uh, gets on the ledge, sits on it. The adults will While come While the in. mother's packing him to death. I mean, uh, how does that? What's she, she doing she when very, that's going on? Uh, she comes close. Yeah, you know, she'll fly close. She'll, she'll yell and scream. Usually, the adult uh, male will also do the same. But very so- once, only once in, in 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 my to my knowledge has has the climber actually been. Ticked yeah. um, a bit. So he puts the, the chicks uh, into the basket, and we it's hauled up, and then we bring them inside the Sheraton, and, and uh, they do this process of holding them, and, and somebody puts the bands on the lake. They get an aluminum band that's provided by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service with a spe- special number, and that band is for that bird only. And the the, the number goes into the database with the information. Um, and then they, on the other leg, they get a plastic band which is about an inch high, roughly, and it has two alphanumeric character alphanumeric characters on it, uh, one above the other. Uh, it might be A over seven or right. or Y over two or two over X or something like that. The letter or the c- or the uh, number might be sideways. Anyway, the, the that combination of an orientation and the color of the band is also recorded. So, um, uh, if if a birdwatcher is looking and sees a, a peregrine and sees this band, the larger one particularly, then um, the uh, uh, and report it. Uh, there's a database that says, oh, this is uh, bird X that came from Hamilton in 1992 or 20, 2015 or whatever.
0: So do you get any sort of data back from the birds that uh, have been on the ledge? And what do you know about them? Where do, you, where oh, do they go? What do they had, do?
3: We've had um, <clears throat> birds that hatched in Hamilton and fledged, uh, turn up in Tennessee, Michigan, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, several in New York State. We've had them mm. in Syracuse, Rochester, Niagara Falls, yeah. uh, on the bridge uh, across the Niagara River. You know the, the double bridges <laughs> oh, that go across. Wow. Um, they've been there, and uh, and in Toronto uh, as well.
0: So uh, the originally with Madame X and and her beau were the original ones. Now how? Uh, no, they were the, they were the second major pair. Okay, and mm-hmm. and what are we on now? This is the third. The third major pair. Yeah. And how long have they been coming back? 2015 since 2015. Um, are the other cities that monitor this, do they have situations like this going on too? Are, are they, they've got big buildings that birds like this are doing Absolutely. the same thing?
3: The, the natural breeding habitat of the Peregrine is a ledge on the side of a cliff.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Perfect.
3: Uh, before before uh, humans started building all these skyscrapers, yeah. um, uh, they stayed out in the, in, in the wild. But once once they started to recover from the, uh, the DDT and, and started spreading out, um, th- we've provided them with a lot of ledges on cliffs.
0: So as you're, as you're talking, I've been watching this, if it looks like I'm distracted while I'm trying to conduct the interview with you, and for the whole time she's just been staring at the camera and moving a little bit. Now she's gone, and I can yep. just see the four chicks four there. Four chicks, right. Where is she?
3: She could be on the, on the ledge. If you, if, you, if you look at camera two, um, you might see her on oh. the far corner. Uh, or she may
0: have just. Yes, that's exactly where she's, so she's gone to the other she, corner. She's keeping the chicks are in one corner, and she's yep. at the other.
3: Or she may have flown off for a break, and that may be the male. Yeah, it could okay. be. Yeah. So that's what happens.
0: Yeah, he or, or if it's he or she uh, down, kind of low. Looks like they're sleeping. Looks like they're not. Uh, maybe they had enough of the kids Keep for a while. <laughs> 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 so, uh, is it very common for the couple to always come back to the same spot? This almost sounds like loons. It does. Oh yeah, yeah. they, they uh, that's been our
3: experience. The same couple comes back. So do they mate for life, or? <sighs> yes and, and no. We, we we can't quite say that because we've we've never had mm-hmm. two disappear simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, w- if one doesn't come back, uh, then a, another uh, of that gender will turn up, mm-hmm. and and if if the rem- the bird that's remaining accepts the uh, the new one, then away they go.
0: So uh, four chicks all the time. Not every year, but
3: mm. uh, most I'd say over the 23 years, probably at least half of the those years, maybe a little more, we've had four chicks. Uh, just the one building? Is this happening anywhere else in the city? Not in Hamilton. Um, there is there is a nest at the height of the, the the lift bridge at the Burlington Skyway. All right. Um, I believe there's three in Mississauga, Tobico. And probably three or four in Toronto. Uh, last time I, I talked to somebody, they had nine in Detroit, Greater Detroit. So, uh, are these still an endangered bird? Then their, their category has changed to species species of special concern. Right. So it's it, the the uh, the threat has lessened and everything else, but there's still a limited number. K- keeping in mind, of course, that they, they were wiped out completely in eastern North America. Uh, uh, at one time.
0: She's come back. It looks like she's actually feeding them or doing something now. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it looks yeah, like. Yeah. So she's yeah. gone to the corner and come back with something yeah. in her mouth. <laughs> so what do they prey on? What do they bring back up there?
3: Their, their natural food, uh, 99% of the time is other birds. Yeah. Okay. And it has to be a bird of a certain size. We, we've seen them bring in warblers that are, you know, only a couple of inches long. But yeah. normally they, they go after larger birds, morning doves, pigeons... Uh, occasionally a blue jay. Pigeons? Like, oh, yeah. Something oh yeah. not big. I yeah, oh yeah, really. Um, they, like, they like cuckoos. Cuckoos are a large bird and nice, lots of meat on them sort of thing. Uh, the, the whole, uh, with, with raptors, the size of the raptor uh, determines the size of the food. Okay, so yeah, we, she's got
0: something in her mouth. Yeah,
3: the the females uh, female peregrines are al- female raptors are always bigger than than the males because of the physiology for carrying the eggs and ha- and, and uh. breeding and so on. So they're heavier and larger, um, uh, so that uh, they uh, they just uh, fly. Wh- what this does is that the the female can catch larger prey than the male. Hmm. They can actually go out and sort of do a two a two shift thing. Um, and and both bring
0: back food. Uh, how much activity does the? How much of the male? Uh, how much involvement does the male have at this point? What's what's he's, the male doing? He's here? always in sight. Right.
3: Always in sight. He might be on the Stelco building west right. side, looking down or over on the. He, he likes. There's a perch on the BDC building that he likes. Um, sometimes he, they'll go on top of the Fair Cloud Tower. And, and if you see it. the
0: male and the female together, what what's the difference?
3: Size. The male is always smaller. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's but what about
0: color? Any no, more color to the virtually male? Virtually the same. Really?
3: Now there's a little bit of a pattern difference. Right. Um, uh, but right now, it's it's if 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 the size isn't obvious, then it's a little tough to tell.
0: Uh, yeah, she's back sitting on them now. She's but it, it looked as if that uh, that she had sat, had something. Now will yeah. the male take off, go grab stuff, and then drop it up yeah. there? Yeah. Does he ever sit on the eggs?
3: Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was. Aussie, uh, in 2015 uh, or 2016, did a fair bit. Serge was very good. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he would take long turns uh, of, of incubating.
0: So um, what happens when it's ready to leave the nest? Okay. It's an awful way up if it doesn't work. They, Do you actually, you must have video of that too, of them Leaving the ledge, we, well, the camera captures uh, a few shots. We, we don't have. Well, uh, I
3: guess now that we have streaming, maybe we'll capture some yeah. some streaming shots. But basically, what what will happen is they'll 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 get a little bigger and then they'll get up on the ledge, yeah. um, which is roughly nine twelve inches uh, above the gravel surface uh, yeah. of the of the nest ledge. They'll get up on the on the uh, the, the ledge and and start uh, flapping their wings uh, to fig- first of all to figure out what the heck they are, yeah, and then strengthen and then to them, yeah. and. When once they realize that they get some lift from it, they, they practice and uh, they, when, when they get to the point where they're flapping their wings hard and just lifting off a little bit, we call that helicoptering Yeah. because they do that and then they go down yeah. and b- up again. But that's when we know that things are, are starting to happen.
0: So h- how do they how do they sit there and float on this ledge and they're not really ready to and not fall off and know when they're ready to go that they're going to come back up again? This
3: is this is why this is when we're on the street yeah. and why we're on the street. Just yeah. if a, a heavy gust of wind comes along and yeah, takes it away, off, yeah. um, or the bird accidentally, literally, steps off the side. We've had that. Uh, the very <laughs> first year uh, in 1995, uh, the bird that we called Hamilton. Uh, one day was found across the street on the roof of the art gallery (laughs) oh no nobody saw it flying oh man he he stayed there for two days yeah and um, uh, we were worried uh, but we all we could do was watch and then about six o'clock one evening heavy traffic the bird was on the on the front edge of the of the AGH dropped down on a King Street fortunately our people were very close, and there was a policeman right yeah. by. So the policeman stopped the traffic, and we herded the bird hilarious. off, and, and away we went.
0: All right, Mike Street has been with his senior monitor, Hamilton Community Peregrine Project, and of course you can check out uh, the videos that I'm looking at right now at uh, falcons.hamiltonnature.org. Uh, mother, I swear, she's been looking at us through this whole interview, and it looks like the kids are up right now, too. So uh, take a peek. Uh, Mike, thanks some, uh, so much for coming in. Fascinating oh, thank stuff. You for Good having luck. Us. Yeah. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML.